0: This is Tom Stogoski, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night, and I'm not
1: wearing any pants.
2: Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Saturday We will begin an advanced invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now, and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule.
1: It will make a duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, that you will give me witchcraft.
2: You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. To bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
0: bye by Saturday night.
2: Well, All Messed Up pretty much covers what we are and what we do, and, and yeah, we did that. Um, hi, uh, and welcome to TalkCast 352, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, uh, from a very overheated attic in Area 51, I am the Dome. Joining us tonight, uh, some of the rest of the gang, uh, Java may be along later, we never actually know for whatever reason. But joining us tonight uh, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, the technical, radical, button-pushing, clacking sonics for driving violent, virtual, so it's Kriana. Is it? I don't know. It's hard to tell when you're not doing a video podcast. From the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeon's private erudite conservatory, colleague to cyborgs feeding the lycanthropically underprivileged, welcome Sombrarian.
1: I have a very important question. Go for it. What's in a raspberry lime Ricky besides raspberries and lime? Because it sounds good, but I'm wary.
2: Okay, so first you get a Ricky. You squeeze it real hard.
1: This you d- take I don't like juice, where this it. is going at, at <laughs> all. When I, I, have no uh, I have no idea. Creepy jar. For you, Creepy (laughs) Jar for me, Creepy Jar for everyone
2: (laughs) Everybody who who sat there and knew where that was going Yeah, bad idea Uh, Our guest tonight is is a friend of the show A friend of ours Uh, And as we get towards con season uh, It's always a wonder as to where we're going to meet him What he's got going on Peter Vinton Jr. joins us tonight Peter, welcome back my friend
0: Thank you. Good to be back. Wonderful talk with you folks it's, again.
2: Well, we're, we're glad you could be here. Uh, it was interesting that we had George O'Connor on the other day and uh, a couple weeks back. And George was saying, I'm one away from the Five Timers Club. <laughs> and you, sir, are a member of the Five Timers Club tonight. Okay. I've already. Oh, this is this is my big induction then. Oh, fantastic! You've earned
1: your your jacket tonight.
0: Oh man! So we
2: we do have the sequin jacket for you. Oh great! I don't know when we'll get it to you, but uh, (laughs) Peter, the sequin
1: jacket is in fact a lie. (laughs) And I have what's in a raspberry lime Ricky, and it sounds delicious. What is, what is? I'm, I'm gonna have to,
0: Yeah, this recipe must be shared before the, the show's raspberry. in. That is yeah. certain. All
1: uh, right. So it's all it is is raspberry syrup, yeah. lime juice, club okay. soda, um, and ice, obviously, and gin or vodka, pick one, um, and lime wedges. I guess you could where? mix the, lo- the gin and vodka if you really want to, but it doesn't sound appealing to me. Where does Ricky come in? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look up the history. I looked up a recipe. I can only okay. Google so
2: fast, though. That's not true, actually. You can Google much faster than that. But I, I wonder where it got its name. What? Oh, why is it right. not like a Raspberry Lime Tommy or I will... Raspberry Lime Billy?
1: I will mute, and I will look into that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't gotten any better at this than we were uh, last <laughs> time you we were on. <laughs> so, you know, it's, as we were talking earlier, it's like, you know, as convention season uh, moves forward, uh, and this year especially for some of us, uh, convention, convention season has changed Uh, a little bit but let's talk a little bit about uh what's been going on with you uh what's new uh what kind of new work have you got where are you going to be uh what's up with the monitors guild book three all
0: right I I kind of—it's—it's been uh, 2016 ended on a somewhat bizarre note, as we're all well aware. Uh, And when you're writing a story like the Monitor's Guild, which is predicated on near future uh, uh, speculation, it's science fiction, but I wanted to keep it grounded in the real. So most of the Monitor's Guild takes place in the year 2049, and then moves on to the year 2050. So that's not quite the distant faraway future that we sometimes imagine it to be. But, uh, it, well, I, I grew up in an era where a, any year with it that began with the number two, as in 2000 was considered the far distant future. I mean, I still remember the opening line. From the Transformers right? that was, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I remember the opening dialogue from the Transformers movie in 1986 in the distant future. the year 2005 you know just it it really sets the tone and you think that this oh that's some far off amazing date when (laughs) but as we all know the problem with the future is it has this annoying habit of turning into the present and i think uh world events and political events took a weirder turn than even the most uh, uh uh bizarre uh and gifted science fiction writer could have predicted and that has some bearing when you to predict how things are going to be 30, 35 years from now.
2: So wh- where is that now taking you with the monitors guild series? Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's getting a little more aggressive. I, I think one
0: thing uh, about how uh, the, and, and so we'll get into this in a little bit, how comic cons have changed and how uh, you have a lot more smaller cons emerging onto the scene that are competing uh, uh, with the giant 900 uh, pound gorillas uh that is uh, what's happened for me in a publication like the monitors guild uh, the book one uh, premiered a couple of years ago it made a fairly respectable first run uh, i say respectable because i had penned it as an origin story but there's always pressure to follow it up with something even more engaging and even more character driven even more pro- plot development and if that's what it takes to continue to meet rising uh comic-con costs which um ho- hopefully i can speak to a little bit later. I'd say that's a good motivator. Again, I can only speak for myself. I certainly wouldn't presume to speak for any of my artist or writer or creator colleagues. uh, But I think it is an excellent impetus for we creators to get back to the woodshed and hone our skills and make better stories and uh, draw even better illustrations. So uh, shorthand, uh, there's a whole lot uh, more intrigue. There's a whole lot more uh, cloak and dagger uh, elements uh, coming up in volume two. I'm still trying to adhere to my, uh, basic premise, which is to retell the story of the American revolution one year at a time, uh, that each year of the American revolution corresponds to each volume of the story. So, uh, Due to a personal tragedy in my life, uh, I, the thing has kind of got put on hold uh, this spring. But uh, as I was telling uh, Dome earlier, I'm coming out of my shell, and uh, I have committed to a number of Comic Con appearances, so I, that uh, has helped. Uh, and nobody's galvanize me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I said nobody's <laughs> happier to hear that than we are. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all of us hit uh, uh, little speed bumps and roadblocks that feel like oh, yeah. brick walls and in fact at the moment are brick walls uh mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and then you know some of us uh, and we've we've all seen instances of it where they fall by the wayside and but you know yours is one of those where i just said no this can't this can't happen we're not going to let nope. this happen and uh, so what are your plans for conventions this year where are you going to be
0: well there's a. Uh, have actually it's, it's a little bit limited uh i'm definitely going to be doing massive comic-con which is coming up uh just a couple of weeks so uh, june 24th and 25th in worcester i'll be attending that uh down there's no better place and in worcester yep <laughs> that 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 con has already uh gotten very uh uh it's, it's it's very well loved it's a good selection it's a good medium-sized con uh and i, I would uh Speaking on the subject of medium size and small size cons, again, uh, uh, some tips that I might offer for uh, up and coming artists and illustrators. Uh, It's it's worth doing one's homework to establish what are the small cons, what are the medium size cons, and of course, what are the big, you know, the the mother loads that we all we all want to tap, but frequently fiscal realities say we might not be able to manage that this year. (laughs) Uh, I'm also tentatively slated for Northeast comic collectibles and extravaganza in Hanover uh, in July 22nd. And I know that that's a bit controversial because that's happening the very same weekend as Seacoast Comic Con in Kittery, Maine. Uh, and That also speaks to some of the the, the trends that I would like to discuss uh, if that's uh, doable. Uh, Boston Comic-Con, I won't be in town that week, but uh, we all know that one's slated for August 11th through 13th at the Boston Seaport World Trade Center. Uh, I'm also confirmed for Vermont Comic-Con, uh, August 26th and 27th in Burlington. And, of course, my beloved home Comic-Con of Granite State, uh, Gran- uh, which is September 16th and 17th in Manchester.
2: Beautiful uh, then, downtown, uh, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, the city just so nice to be you once. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yep, and uh, I'm still not confirmed. I'm waiting to hear back from our friends in Rhode Island, uh, Rhode Island Comic Con, which is November 10th through 12th in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, that's, I know that's traditionally looked at as uh, the wrap-up con for the season, although I did want to put in a plug for a very small local con that takes place the following weekend called White Mountain Comic Con, which will be taking place in Plymouth, New Hampshire, on November 18th and 19th. Oh, good Lord.
2: Now, <laughs> in- interesting that you're talking about uh, conventions that are the size of football fields and conventions that are the size of locker rooms. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> for, lack, for lack of a better analogy, uh, over the past, I'd say two to three years, we've seen some cons uh, that are very well-known and very well-established grow and grow and grow and grow
0: Absolutely. Uh,
2: to the point where they did kind of become unwieldy. And then, on, on the other hand, we've seen a number of very intimate conventions. And by intimate, I mean one day, possibly two days, uh, small mm-hmm. venues. Uh, and uh, for artists and, and exhibitors, much easier to deal with financially. Uh, and uh, I guess from a f- professional standpoint as well, it becomes much easier to deal with conventions like that. Uh,
0: so absolutely.
2: And and then there are the mid-range cons, kind of like like Granite Con, which mm-hmm. grew and continues to grow. but at the same time, stays at a fairly. Median size to where it you never feel as as if it's overwhelming you. Both exactly. both from the standpoint as, as an exhibitor and as uh, a participant as a, as a paying customer, I've got to tell you, uh, and and to put this in perspective, it was so difficult at Boston Comic Con last year as a paying so I customer. I mean, just as a paying customer to walk through what is one of the largest venues in Boston and still feel like a sardine can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the crush was just ridiculous. So, um, that's kind of why, uh, we here have made a shift towards some of the smaller conventions, uh, plastic city, uh, um, the White Mountain Con in, in uh, Plymouth. There's there's a number of small conventions uh, dotting all over the landscape right now uh, in kind of counter-programming what's happening with the large ones. So w- where are you at with this one now? How are you feeling <laughs> about this?
0: Um, I, I'm actually, weirdly enough, or even, I, I want to say per- perversely enough, I'm actually uh, uh, mostly encouraged um it's i think it these kinds of things um it's it's becoming obvious to a lot of us creators and artists and i would also think vendors that uh the smaller and the mid-range cons may be, uh, definitely be worth a second look um as you mentioned over the decades the sci-fi cons become swallowed up by their own successes i mean this happened in the 80s uh and this happened in the early part of the 21st century and it seems to be happening almost in cycles it's a familiar model but it's important to emphasize that this really is no one person's fault. Um, we all remember, for example, I'm going to pick on Boston comic-con because it's such a wonderfully superlative example. We all remember when it was this tiny little affair in the basement of the Hancock tower. And, but now it's Absolutely. one of the biggest shows on the East coast and, and it's able to book names like William Shatner and Stanley. So of necessity, the commercial draws bigger and, and the buzz is greater and the venue location grows. And then, Major entertainment groups like Disney or Warner Brothers or Universal might want to stake out a presence, and so naturally the price goes up. It's easy as an artist or as a writer or as a vendor or a creator um, to feel a little bit jilted uh, or marginalized when you must necessarily weigh up your options just to keep participating in bigger and bigger venues and just manage to break even. But the reality is, it's security and parking and food vending and maintenance. They aren't doing this for free. (laughs) Some of us artists—not that I'm, you know, uh, speaking from a high horse here—but some of us artists might foolishly trade in promises of exposure. But they certainly don't. So um, we have an expression in artist (laughs) Sally. Exactly. Yeah. You're doing it for the exposure. Yeah, I can't pay my landlord an exposure. But every can I give him
2: ten percent of my exposure? (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my exposure is an earning interest. Know
1: yeah. that if you do try to pay your landlord an exposure, you may be arrested.
0: Are you speaking <laughs> firsthand exposure, knowledge?
1: Exposure. <laughs> exposure to someone who's not consenting is probably a bad idea.
2: Probably illegal. <laughs> you're absolutely right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and certainly not somebody that you're hoping is going to fix your toilet or something like that. So yeah, yeah. Well, not a
2: good idea.
0: So so we have an expression in Artist's Alley called making back table. And that's just like some uh, shorthand. And that's generally amongst uh, most of us to be considered kind of a baseline measurement. Um, And as you pointed out, uh, Les, it's when a con becomes successful enough to become acquired by an advertising conglomerate like Wizard, uh, that sometimes has turned at the tipping point uh, for we artists. And again, I'm looking at uh, Boston Comic Con as a superlative example. Um, There's a wonderful essay uh, on Comic-Con Tendril uh, that was then reprinted in ComicsBeat.com back in January. Uh, Very well thought out essay. And in it, the author takes the vendor's standpoint. And he mentions that the current state of the con industry is, in in his view, it's on the edge of a burst, but not in a bad way. Uh, When you consider the sheer volume of shows that are planned in just the New England area for the remainder of 2017 that we just mentioned, um, it's it's kind of easy to see where the pressure might lie. Every show has this burden of, this year has to be better than the last one or else, you know, guest-wise. And attendees also feel the same way, and it has put a crunch on the economics. If you have a name like... Uh, for for the sake of argument, Gal Gadot or Chris Hemsworth or David Tennant at a show, that's probably going to be about $175,000 guarantee. That puts a lot of pressure on the promoter, and that usually has to get taken out on the price of a booth.
2: And of course, the issue with that
0: is if all the people,
2: yeah. Again, uh, along the way, we lost lost track of what these things are actually doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're Comic-Cons. They're artist and creator uh, showcases. And if you remember back uh, a long time ago at uh, the bottom of the Hancock Tower where uh, Boston Comic-Con was in 19 different little alcoves and rooms.
0: Oh my God, yeah. Went, and then we're out in a hallway. and yeah,
2: <laughs> Yeah, and the hallway on either side was like, and it went for like a a ridiculous amount of time with just people sitting there and, you know, you're looking at their work and they're looking at you and you're going, damn, this is cool stuff. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, if I want David Tennant's autograph, and I'm not saying I don't, and I'm not <laughs> saying I'm, I'm willing to spend $75 for 30 seconds standing next to him for a grainy Polaroid, sure, <laughs> but that's not what a Comic-Con is is that's mm-hmm. something different that's now kind of usurped that name and because of that i think that there are a number of small smaller cons conventions uh for uh vendors as well as creators regardless of uh whether it, whether it's the written word, uh, the or 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 movies or graphics or whatever, a mm-hmm. place where they don't have to compete with John Barrowman or Stan true, Lee. Right? <laughs> or, or I mean, yeah, because there Stan are people Lee. who are who are standing in line for three hours for their thirty seconds next to Stan Lee, and they're not walking through Artist Sally.
0: Right, and and, and, and if people line up for that hundred dollar autograph and Photoshop. There, there is no money left to spend with the vendors, and certainly none left over from the artists. And as uh, as Comic Con Tendril asserts in that essay I mentioned, it is a trickle down effect. Um, but again, I feel like I have to reemphasize it, that there really isn't a bad guy, uh, and and I think that's where my not so inner libertarian, of course, anybody who's read my Monitors Guild novel knows that that's kind of the direction <laughs> I lean. My inner libertarian wakes up and points out that economic realities are slowly being addressed by economic realities. And I think that's what brings to us the effect we see of the one and two day smaller shows roaring back just like they were about a decade or so ago. And more and more vendors and creators and artists are just dipping their toes into these smaller shows to see if their profit margins fare any better. And so far they are. It's it's been encouraging. There's been some very dramatic attendance at shows that are being held at like fairgrounds or at VFW halls or, or in hotels.
2: Or in abandoned JC Pennies for that matter. <laughs> I... JC <laughs> Pennies, yeah. I can
1: also <laughs> tell you that there are it's becoming a thing for libraries to set up cons where they invite local artists and local authors. Oh my, yes. And the best thing about that is, since it's in a library, a lot of the co- overhead costs of, you know, you know you don't have to rent the space. You don't have to pay for electricity right. or whatever. Um, and exactly. they are, by nature, tiny because you have to do what you can fit into the library. But they're very local and... If the person planning it knows their community well, apparently they're very popular.
0: Oh, very much so. Like I went to a free comic book day in Rochester uh, uh, this uh, this past year, which was uh, staged by uh, the folks at uh, Jetpack Comics. Right. They involved. The whole town. I mean, uh, every uh, you know, several uh, stores and restaurants, and and as you mentioned, the local library, uh, the local J.C.'s club, the local Knights of Columbus, the the local Lions Club. Everybody was in on it, Uh, and there was there was like a central meeting place where a lot of the artists congregated. But it was a whole new approach to free comic book day, and it almost turned into like a townwide scavenger hunt. It was it was like Halloween. It's kids and grown ups dressed up in how in, in uh, superhero costumes going door to door and picking up their free comic book at the next destination along the way. Uh, I, very I cool. Was a very unique approach. Uh and it involved the town and you know, locals were saying, Hey, that got me to walk into the so and so store that I'd never bothered to set foot in before or that actually uh, allowed me to meet so and so that I never even knew they lived there and it uh I feel like it brought the community together. I just thought that was a wonderful, unique take on it and as you mentioned, it kept costs way the heck down.
1: And it's great for, you know, the libraries and the stores because, you know, the people who are coming aren't coming from three states away. They're coming from down the street. And exactly. maybe they'll be back.
2: Uh, another thing that these these uh, small kind of homegrown conventions are able to do is actually focus down towards... You know, as opposed to having a ton of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, here's a couple of writers. Here's a couple of artists uh, who, are, who are local and homegrown. Or, you know, here's, here's the local steampunk community. Or, you know, those kinds of things. And I think that's kind of important, too. Because those have really gotten lost in the past 10 years. And are now starting to come back.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then that, 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 uh, that kind of uh, camaraderie and community was very much on display in Rochester this past spring. Um, I'm thinking of another event, um, our friends at Double Midnight Comics in Manchester. Um, a while back, they put together a mini event uh, in a Concord Hotel in early spring called Halfway to Granite Con, which references their September yep. event. And I know that was very well received. Uh, much smaller, uh, fewer vendors, fewer artists. But still, I think it brought what a lot of the fans wanted, is that sense of camaraderie and let's just gather and let's just uh, completely uh, geek out and uh, and just be our traditional uh, uh, raspberry lime Ricky sipping fans together and just indulge (laughs) (laughs) it.
1: I did figure that out, by the way. They were invented by Colonel Joe Ricky. Ah, He invented the original lime ricky, and apparently the raspberry lime ricky is a lime
2: ricky with raspberry syrup added.
0: (laughs) This will win you a trivia night.
2: (laughs) Colonel Ricky, we we salute you. (laughs) For whatever reason.
0: I'm I'm raising a glass right right now.
2: There we go. I assume (laughs) you're making a picture of them, and that's why you wanted to know. You know, and I hope you brought enough for everyone. I,
1: I would have, but we don't have anything raspberry flavored in the house. I actually <laughs> wandered off for a second to see if I could find anything. I was like, "Do we have raspberry jelly?"
2: But we don't. <laughs> That's not going to work, raspberry jelly. Well, you could might. turn raspberry oh jelly goodness.
1: into raspberry syrup if you heat if you heat it up and dissolve it in some water. But we should talk to we should. Talk to our guest and not about
0: this. Isn't Colonel Ricky coming on
1: afterwards? Well, he died This is a critical issue. Colonel Ricky died in 1903, so I don't think he's coming, but we do have the invitation out to him.
2: Okay. Or or his relatives or whoever would like to come. Yeah, the the
0: heirs of this amazing fortune. We we had a whole RickyCon or something like that.
2: Ooh. (laughs) Well,
1: July. the DC Bartenders Association has declared July as the official Ricky month. So, mm-hmm. maybe sometime in July we should have Ricky Con. Per- per-
2: perhaps you <laughs> should, uh, yeah. We should let you plan that at the uh, library.
1: I'm going to extend <laughs> well, and, and it to all Rickys, so Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> There'll be a cutout of him that you can take pictures of. Ricky Schroeder. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, but Plastic City is in July, so uh, in July twenty nine, so that 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 that'll still be you'll uh, it, it, you'll still be inside that window.
2: There we go. There See, we, go. <laughs> we we've got a plan, and I'm not saying it's a good one, but we've got one.
0: <laughs> as long as there is a plan, well, this is like the doctor. You know, do you have a plan? Yes, it's a very terrible plan, but at least I have a plan.
2: You know, <laughs> and that's the important thing. That You have that plan. So, as as, you know, for me, uh, it was a conscious decision at the end of last year to uh, see what else was out there. Mm -hmm. Now, did you attend Plastic City last year?
0: I did not. I've never never actually been to Plastic City.
2: Okay. Last year, I think, was their first year. Okay. And uh, everybody who went there shot me emails and called me and went, that was a really, really good con. It was one day, and I was out in the middle of nowhere. So like it mm-hmm. was for, <clears throat> for the people who are out in the middle of nowhere. At the and Everybody uh, who attended and everybody, the artists and, and writers who were there had nothing but good stuff to say. And at that point, it That's began wonderful. to dawn on me that there were, and at the same time, I was talking to uh, illustrator X, uh, who okay. we still talk to from time to time. And
0: uh, he, he, is he had much
2: mentioned <laughs> he is very much missed, and he had mm-hmm. mentioned that there had been a convention in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, the week before, uh, and oddly enough. Held in a field uh, next to a big building. Uh, and it was oh, all steel. And, you know, so they're starting to pop up. They're starting to, and you're right, it is kind of a cycle. It may be a 15, 15 year cycle because I can remember, and Kriana, you can remember this as well. That we saw George Takei in a small convention in Nashua, New Hampshire, at a Holiday Inn almost 18 years ago. I
1: didn't see George
2: Takei. <laughs> yes, we did.
1: Mm, no. You saw Peter Mayhew. Bob Picardo, Ethan Bob Phillips, Bacardo. but
2: not George Takei. No, no, no. no, no that I've was seen in the Portsmouth. signed
1: pictures, Dome.
2: No, no, no. That was in Portsmouth. But there was one...
1: Uh, I've never met uh, George Takei,
2: I so I no, would kill we didn't to meet either. George
1: Takei. I mean, maybe we not literally, meet, but just
2: there. And uh, you know, it was it was really an interesting little convention, and a very small holiday in in Nashville, New Hampshire. Um uh, and Peter Laird was there as well from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah.
1: I know uh, you know talking God, about, that was
2: but... such a long time ago. It was ridiculous. Are you
1: sure it was Kriana and not Drew?
2: Positive, because Drew wasn't even. No, couldn't have been. Okay. And you know what? It might have been.
1: <laughs> I know you forget uh, sometimes huh? how old how old your kids are.
2: I kind of do. So there, there's that. Fifteen-year cycle, and we're on the back end of it now, where the gargantuan's are, and the small little ones are sprouting up again. And I think we're going to see yeah, that cycle it, it does happening. Seem, yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I think I seem to remember. Um, I, I read uh, by uh, this was famously observed by uh, Star Trek writer David Gerald way back in the early nineteen eighties, which I think the was trouble tail with tribbles. Uh, yeah that's our man absolutely <laughs> that i think that was uh, coming off a tail end of, uh, of a similar cycle um but it was no less relevant today he uh finished his essay with a cautionary don't forget anyone can put on a convention these days uh which i think in in, in his world was kind of uh you know cautioning to, to you know don't throw your money away on something that isn't uh uh, thoroughly planned out, you know, make make sure once again, make sure you have a plan. Uh, <laughs> it might be a bad one, but as long as there's a plan, <laughs> but I think that, yeah, very much that the, the, uh, the tail end of one cycle and some of the cons will remain uh, the 900 pound gorillas and we will continue to love them for what they are. I mean, San Diego, certainly uh, New York, uh, and some of the other big ones. Uh, and it's entirely possible that Boston and certainly Rhode Island will end up joining that pantheon. And, uh, again, uh, to to no real uh, ill effect, uh, in my view. But at the same time, I think for artists, the uh, the, the chance of making use of uh, uh, some of the smaller shows, like Massive uh, or Plastic City uh, or, or or Granite State, uh, can hold uh, a different set of rewards. And in keeping David Gerald's uh, advice in mind, uh, I would say to uh, not just to the fans, but also to the artists and the vendors. The advice is always do your homework, do your comparison shopping, um, get out and do the business card dance with your fellow artists at free comic book day, for example, and find out which cons they're looking at trying. And I have to say, when I say communicate with your fellow artists, that means more than just give them a like on Facebook. It means make a point (laughs) of following and occasionally commenting on the artist's work on Instagram or Tumblr or even, and (laughs) I never thought I'd say this, here's a radical thought. DeviantArt, Uh, amateur or pro, you would be astounded at what kind of artistic brilliance turns up over on that site.
2: (laughs) Uh, I can actually do you one better. Uh, uh Stop and talk to them. That's even more radical. (laughs) I can remember a time when even at the largest conventions that were around, there was room to stop and talk.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's how but I met you guys know. for crying out loud.
2: <laughs> and at the, at the large ones now, that's pretty much gone away.
0: Yeah, the, the, there isn't quite the opportunity uh, that, that there was. In fact, I think, I think that's, now that I think of it, I think that's the homework assignment I go to impose upon all, all the listeners tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm rejuvenated because I recently visited Virginia and I visited the studio of the artist uh, Gary Melcher's. Uh, May not be uh, well-known, but he was a fairly famous portrait artist at the beginning of the 20th century. He's probably best known for the iconic Teddy Roosevelt portrait that hangs in the White House. And he has uh, both his gallery and his home in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And while I was gazing upon his work in a gallery, that was rewarding in its own sense. But for me, in many more ways, it was more insightful to tour his house and get a sense of who his favorite artists were. You know, see whose work is hanging over his fireplace. So, with that in mind, I what I want to suggest to everybody listening tonight. Uh, uh, well, it, 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 we we can one. So. You know, no. it, 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 he invited
1: <laughs> you back to see his etchings,
0: huh? Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, we all know what that's a messenger. Yep. Uh, <laughs> more warnings. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but with that in mind, I, I think what I want everybody to do is uh, think of five of your favorite artists or authors or comic book creators. Go stalk them, I mean, and then look through their favorites. And from that list uh, of their favorites, pick five new names, uh, folks you've never heard of that you weren't following before, and then go suss out their websites or their online galleries or their Facebook pages or their Twitter feeds and give them a follow and find out if they're coming to a Comic-Con to your area and then make a point of dropping by their table, uh, whether it's a big show like Boston or an up-and-comer like White Mountain, because I I truly believe, and the older I get, uh, the more I seem to really uh, hang on to this, call it a faith thing. I think the best and the most creative art is usually coming out of the minds of the folks you haven't heard of yet.
2: I think you're absolutely on to something there, my friend. <laughs> you know, Peter, it's it turns into a philosophical and theosophical discussion every time we're on. And, and that's <laughs> fine. Because, you know, it's kind of like, so how do you do that writing thing? No, let's not go there.
0: Let's not go <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Isaac Asimov answered that better than any of the rest of us. I just make them up, see, you know, and again, that that that, that, uh, that, that nice that, that beautiful Brooklyn accent, you know, uh, you know, Brooklyn no nonsense, uh, take no as uh, take no BS attitude of his. As like, yeah, <laughs> I think that, that 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 one's been answered. <laughs>
2: uh, good Lord. So you know, we we were also talking about uh, uh, you know some of the conventions becoming more of a uh, 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 a signing or, or get your picture taken with convention and right uh, gosh what were we talking about we were talking about uh, who the most expensive people were at conventions and you mentioned George Takei, and you had this wonderful story about George Takei. and I'm doing oh, it you know, yeah uh- we <laughs> talked
1: about William Shatner and from there we went to George so Takei? go into George toKy there.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: it was. It, 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 it was. Uh, I, I read a very, uh, fairly tasteless joke. Uh, uh, the idea that uh, you know, that now, of course, now that we're the world is no longer have Adam West in it. Um, he, he was wonderful and beloved by many, but uh, he was also one of the more well-known as uh, have to kind of pony up a couple extra bucks to get your autograph, uh, get his autograph, or get your picture taken. And then the joke was, which celebrity is the one of the uh, top uh, <laughs> top earners now? And we, we I think we headed in a Shatner-ish direction, and that led us to, to I Kay. did, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: And, and I have a, a, actually a short George Decay anecdote, which actually had a great deal to do with fleshing out one of the characters in the Monitors Guild in a somewhat indirect manner. Not long after uh, 9-11, uh, there were some calls in some somewhat extremist corners, internet, uh, that were calling for essentially internment camps, you know, round up, uh, the Muslims round up the followers of Islam. And while we're at it, let's just round up everybody from middle Eastern nations in general, uh, A horrible sentiment, uh, still as misguided, uh, then as it is today. Uh, and I found an essay by George Takei, uh, decrying such a thing. And certainly he would know firsthand about, uh, such conditions and, why that was a bad idea then and why it's a bad idea now and i thanked him for his essay and he was polite enough to send me an email uh saying thank you for being concerned about the future of this country uh the name of the charitable organization that mr decay ran was called hosato enterprises uh, but i just he he thanked me for it and he was concerned about uh, the direction in which uh, such kind of extremist thinking was going and i held on to that and after I got over my uh, nerd gas, I'm about actually owning a piece of correspondence from an honest to goodness member of the Enterprise bridge crew. <laughs> it's, uh,
2: uh,
0: that to me was far more valuable than an autographed eight by ten glossy uh, from the man because, like, we connected in a somewhat different manner. And yeah, from that, he read something I, you
2: wrote, and he wrote back. That's really you important.
0: Know, it, it just like, that, that. That just to me was uh, that, that was value far beyond uh, what you might shell out for an autograph. And that, in fact, led to the creation of one of the principal characters in the Monitor's Guild story. Um, In the pages of Volume 1, I hypothesize uh, an honest-to-goodness internment camp. But instead of making it something horrifying, I make it something kind of normal and mundane. Because it's being shown through the uh, viewpoint of a four-year-old boy who has grown up in the internment camp. So to him, it feels normal. You know, he doesn't even realize anything bad has happened. He gets the sense that his parents are often worried about something because they're never allowed past a certain stretch of razor wire. And there are soldiers with guns that, you know, keep an eye on him when he's playing soccer with his uh, other little friends in the camp. But I wanted to explore the idea that, you know, for a little boy uh, growing up in such an encampment, uh, that would feel normal. And then, uh, the character, his name is Farhan. Farhan's life takes a bit of a turn when he turns six and, uh, even though it's still being told from his viewpoint, he's now being told uh, he doesn't, get, doesn't have to live in the internment camp anymore. He's being moved to this faraway, foreign city uh, covered in snow called Boston. He's never heard of that place before. <laughs> and it's a lot colder there, and the people talk funny, but uh, he, he adjusts all right. So <laughs> I, I wanted to show that uh, to the, through the eyes of a four-year-old, it's not quite as easy to see the sinister. Of course, the real horror is what has happened uh, to his parents and why they were locked up in this encampment in the first place. But uh, then it, uh, it turns into a kind of a, a coming-of-age story, and as Faran gets older, he understands exactly what happened to his parents and starts to harbor a very deep uh,
2: and angry resentment against the system that put him there. Yeah. It, it's, it's an interesting mirror on the past and the future at the same time
0: very much so and Hmm. and again that 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 the problem is the future does keep turning into the present and that which was considered uh, (laughs) far-fetched a generation ago is a dangerously mundane reality now and then that's the positive and the negative i mean maybe we didn't get uh for example that the technology has taken us in an unexpected direction instead of uh uh george jetson uh folding up his car into a briefcase and going to work we get to fold up work into a briefcase and take it home with us so (laughs) got that little part of it yeah (laughs) yeah but at the same time uh, the the other more unthinkables uh uh, also they have a danger of uh coming into being i mean certainly that's what margaret atwood was trying to warn us about certainly that's what uh uh, ray bradbury is trying to warn us about These weren't how-to manuals. These were caution manuals.
2: Cautionary tales.
0: Absolutely. Exactly. So I'm hoping the Monitor's Guild, in some level, also plays out against that uh, backdrop as well. Uh, The future, I'm hypothesizing, in the year 2050 isn't quite as horrifying as, like, say, what we're seeing in, say, Terminator or The Walking Dead, but... uh, It's still a a difficult future to live in, but at the same time, uh, the future doesn't stop. Uh, It keeps on rocketing towards us, and that's why I thought it was important to include the standpoint of of a four-year-old boy uh, in that world, because it might seem far-fetched and exotic to us old folks, but to that four-year-old boy, that's normal.
2: History is its own worst enemy, in that for everybody, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the way it's been. Uh,
0: oh yes, <laughs> we've always done I it that way. You. Ask any ask any coworker. Why, why are we doing it that way? Why well, don't we've always done it that way?
2: <laughs> Pretty much. Speaking of Barker Datwood, have you been watching The Handmaid's Tale?
0: I have not yet. I am uh, I am a tremendous fan of the book. Uh, the, the book really spoke to me when I first read it back in the 80s. Uh, I just have not had the opportunity to uh, start devouring the series yet, but I am hearing nothing but good things about it. And by that, of course, it means it's being horribly accurate, <laughs> faithfully accurate, but uh, all the, the, the horror of the world that Margaret Atwood created is, uh, I understand, being pretty faithfully reproduced on the screen.
2: It, it's scarily accurate and, and the deviations that it takes are not without precedent and merit
1: I did so, notice honestly. one thing that bugged me I haven't watched it yet I will admit but one thing that bugged me um, I saw a preview and I was like oh they made everybody young and pretty and part of this whole deal is that everybody isn't young and pretty
2: in this world. And that
1: bothered me a little
2: bit. One of the things that they did and you're right, in the first couple of episodes it was absolutely that. And then it was like lifting up the flagstone in the backyard and seeing all the little insects scurrying around. Many of which are not.
1: they made the they made the commander young and pretty, which is weird to
2: me. Yeah, in, in that Ugh. that's part of the dichotomy that exists within the book that does not. but um, they I think it became a matter of them picking and choosing their battles with this one. and uh, mm-hmm. the ones that they they chose to go after. I think they did a marvelous job with. Uh, It's actually been renewed for a second season already. Oh, that's good. Does that mean they're not going
1: to do the whole book in one season?
2: They are not going to do the whole book in one season.
1: All right, because I I just figured out that American Gods is not going to do anywhere near the whole book in one season. (laughs) Well, My understanding is that bulbs.
0: it's going to, is that that series is going to diverge into the Anansi Boys for a little bit of a narrative, uh, and then pick back up again with the American Gods
1: narrative. And thereby Which actually makes sense. Two seasons. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense, because Anansi Boys, I believe, when I read it, I didn't like it as much as American Gods, so I haven't, I'm not as familiar with it, but doesn't it happen pretty concurrently or even just before. It, it is American concurrently. And, and,
0: and the character of Mr. Nancy is kind of the connected tissue between the two stories. So, right. Yes.
1: Who's amazing. I love Mr. Nancy.
0: <laughs> I understand he is emerging as a fan favorite.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. And and so well played within the book. And, and to be honest with you, I, I feel embarrassed having to say this. And I've already said it on the show a number of times when somebody said to me, Dome, You didn't realize the House on the Rock was actually a real place? (laughs) And I went, no, I actually didn't until somebody showed me their website. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Aw, Tom. I know. I I darn near kicked myself.
0: I was uh, was traveling out to uh, Madison, Wisconsin earlier this year uh, for a business trip. And only just then did I finally read that particular passage in American Gods, and I kicked myself. I was right out there. I could have gone. What did, I missed my shot, man? <laughs> I would have wanted to commune, you know, with a carousel and everything.
2: <laughs> actually, the way I found out that that it was actually a place, uh, I had this very guilty pleasure of of a television show called American Pickers, and I will sit. Oh and dear. Just and watch that for hours for no reason and somebody will go you've seen that episode four times and i will go shut up he just bought a tin toy uh, and, and the two idiots of the truck are talking to each other and they're going to the house on the rock and i had just finished that segment of the book and i'm going no wait a minute no no seriously and I went, holy shit And, and yeah. I, I literally still have that episode on my DVR All I'll the places, places in the
1: book are, are real, though well, All the tour in the now. book are I real know that. <laughs> Even the caverns <laughs> I mean, where they have the big final battle That's real Yeah,
0: you know, I, I, I love that's... Gaiman's assertion that all these locations are in fact Shrines or temples or holy places in some manner and, and that the idea that he uses uh, the idea of the roadside attraction stand or the mom-and-pop uh, store with a big uh, fiberglass dinosaur sitting out front, that they actually stand um, in the for these long-lost holy places.
2: <laughs> it's some of the best stuff. And, uh, I've and the House on the Rock it.
0: becomes the equivalent of the runaway uh, out-of-control Comic-Con that got too big for its britches. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's, uh, I suppose it
0: can be uh, argued that Comic-Cons themselves have become holy places, holy shrines, and maybe they, you know, the, the the big churches are falling, and now the smaller, uh, more alternative religions are cropping up to take their place and fill the need.
2: And who's the new Martin Luther? We don't know. Sorry about that. <laughs> maybe it's John Barrowman. Who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's George Takei. Uh, yeah,
0: night. actually, you, you know... <laughs> Everything comes back to And instead today. of
1: posting his his ninety nine his ninety nine problems on the <laughs> on the <laughs> door, he puts them on Facebook. <laughs>
0: yeah, he just he tweets about them.
1: <laughs> also, religion moving cycles, cycles I
0: just used and moving cycles.
1: <laughs> Because I forgot the actual name of the document Martin Luther wrote, but I remembered the fifty the. Rap lyrics for ninety nine problems.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got ninety nine problems in a Comic Con eight one. There we go. Oh, Good lord.
1: <laughs> I got ninety nine problems, and the Catholic Church is probably the, it's <laughs> the biggest
0: <laughs> one. <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, All right, so <laughs> well, yeah,
2: now we're going to blaspheme, and that's fine. Whatever. Oh, I'd, absolutely. I'd love, <laughs> I'd love to sit and talk about a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but we had a passing this week of an American icon. Uh, TV's Adam West died this week.
1: Your hero and, and those, mine.
2: Well, we we have had experience with, with Mr. West over the years. Uh, and he was gracious and fun in his own way. And, uh, boy, is he going to be missed. The weird thing is, do you realize that the Batman television series that he's best known for ran for a grand total of three seasons and that was it? Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, so it was on the same number of years as Star Trek and then created just the same amount of enduring legacy.
2: It's It's kind of amazing when you think about series that really didn't last as long as we think they did. I mean... <laughs> And and yet to this day have are are repeated and and the people who were on them are are kind of held in esteem. Uh, I I guarantee you there's not another Adam West anywhere. Uh, he was a (laughs)
1: unless there is Adam West clones.
2: (gasps) It could happen. (laughs) <laughs> he certainly was a one of a kind individual and as as Kriana will tell you as he <laughs> as she got an interview with him uh it it was more than interesting and more than fun to be uh, oh, absolutely in his presence. uh he will be very 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 much missed uh, i don't want to talk yeah,
0: my heart goes I- out to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard to do my heart goes out to the uh, organizers of terrificon uh that's going to be august 18th to 20th uh mohegan sun in connecticut because i know adam Bert ward were the main draws for that that's, particular con. That's and right. over the years the friendship between those two men has turned into almost like a an old almost like an old school hollywood act you know like uh, the t- two comedians an odd couple and they, they had Honed their uh, rapport and their snappy dialogue with one another to the to the great uh, kind entertainment of entertainment. Of and
2: masses. Waldorf of superheroes, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Kriana, my darling, mm. who's on the show next week?
1: Not a freaking clue. <laughs> I don't know, Dome. Who is on the show next week?
2: I was hoping somebody had uh, the website up. But who's evidently right?
1: That's what you get for
2: hoping Yeah, I guess so I guess so
1: You know, I just tried to start Who's on first and you guys did not go with me Yeah, I know
2: None of us went with you on that one You're absolutely oh, We were
1: just talking about old Hollywood comedy duos And you can't even do Who's on first with me
2: Correct <laughs> Third base
1: Creepy gyardome.
2: <laughs> Roll the credits, Kriana. <laughs> Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast and Northeast NortheastCon, Books and Books and Books, Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House, the best east. if you have a Take a look at the next i i will Check out their groups on I'm going to our first five members of the typically. I good to have you back. I thank you, Jamie, and the Times and, the son of Fiona, and the woman of the world. Thank you for the for you. This is Don see Jerry Jeannie Jerry Femmes,